Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. First Peter is where we are, chapter 2. And last week we saw in verses 11 and 12 that our lives are supposed to be beautiful for Christianity. We're supposed to live out our salvation. People are supposed to notice Jesus in us. And then he gets real practical, and personally I think he goes to meddling a little bit. Because now he talks to us about two words that neither one of us like. Submission and authority. Because all of us at heart are a little rebellious. Rebellious. We, we, um, we just, when somebody tells us we have to do something, there's part of it that says, well, I don't have to. You, don't, you can't tell me what to do. But then when it really comes to the government, now, that's a whole other story, isn't it? Because there's not anybody in here, I don't think, unless you're out of your mind, that doesn't get a little irritated with the government. Am I right? At least in this country, we can talk about it. Now, now before you get nervous, I'm not going to talk about politics. I'm not going to talk about either party. I'm going to talk about us as believers, how we're supposed to live under authority. And nobody likes that. But whether you like it or not, we all have it. We can't live without authority. We can't live without structure and organization and authority because if we, if we don't have it, you have anarchy and chaos. So let's look at what Peter has to say. You'll notice in verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles means to make Jesus beautiful to the world. People are watching you. Did you know people are watching you? I told you that last week. Whether you like it or not, people are watching you. Now look what he says. Stand up while I read God's word, verse 13. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, therefore. Now he's going to lay it on us. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Whether the king is supreme or to governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us today. Because this, in a lot of ways, is difficult at times for us. We ask you to help us learn to respect the office to respect authority, to teach it to our children. And God, we ask that you help us to live in a way that people would still, that are still watching would be silenced as they see our lives living for you. So God, help us during this time now. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I've done a lot of funerals in my lifetime, a lot of funerals. And I've had the privilege of looking through a lot of Bibles that people have had and a lot of underlining and a lot of highlighting and all. But if there was ever a place to mark through, this would be one of those places for me. I'd go, okay, Lord, I'll follow your word, but not this. Because this is a place that um, <laughs> I struggle with time. Because I'm going to tell you, there are some things that happen in our government that I think are ridiculous, if you want to know the truth. I think some of the laws are ridiculous. Who we got down over here? Who? Harold Wren? Harold Williams, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Let's stop and pray for him right now. Lord, we don't know what's going on with Harold right now, but we lift him to you. Pray that you'll help him. We call on you as the great physician, and we call on you to help. And I pray for those in authority and that can help now. We call on them, and I pray you'll give them wisdom. We put him in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. They're going to take real good care of him, so can y'all listen to me? Can y'all listen to me? Because you're not going to like the sermon. You might as well listen to it anyway. Okay? First thing he tells us, he says, your, your life's supposed to make people want to come to Christ. He said, therefore, you're going to submit to every ordinance of man. So the first thing he tells us, We've got to be compliant as citizens. Did you notice it? That the very first word, therefore, submit, or it's the second word, submit, be submissive. The word submit is not an option here, it's a command. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Submit is a Greek word that means to arrange in a military fashion, to place yourself under rank. It doesn't mean the person's better than us. It doesn't mean they own us. But when somebody's in authority, we are to submit and to follow their leadership. And if that's not bad enough, he goes on to say every ordinance of man, which tells us that we have to submit to laws even we, that we think are unreasonable. <laughs> you got any laws that you think are unreasonable? Obviously, we do. There's a lot of them I think are unreasonable. It's amazing to me that the ordinances of man means human institutions such as the laws of the land. We've got to submit to authority. Don't you hate speed limits? I do. They're always too slow. Always too slow. I heard of a pastor got stopped for speeding policeman said, sir, are you in a hurry? He said, yes, sir, I'm in a hurry. I'm doing the Lord's work. And the policeman said, well, I read the same Bible as you do, and it tells me to go out into the highways and bring them in, and that's what I'm doing. <laughs> if you think about it, there are some laws that are just ridiculous. Sometimes they, it seems like to me, it, just appeal, it seems like to me that when some exception to something happens, then we make it the rule. 
So if somebody has something weird happen to them, now it's the law of the land and everybody's got to comply to it. And I'll just tell you, there were a lot of laws that I did not, or ordinances that I did not agree with when we were building this building. I personally thought some of them were ridiculous. I'm not going to tell you which ones. This morning, as in most every Sunday morning, I'm driving to church in the dark because I'm leaving a little after 7 to get up here. And so I come to the intersection at 114th and Quaker. And the light turns red. Every time I drive up to it, it turns red. Every time. I'm the only one sitting there. I can look, see a mile down to 1585. There's not a soul coming. I can see a mile up to 82nd Street, 98th Street. Not a soul coming. There's not a soul coming the other direction. I'm sitting at a red light. And it's red, and it's red, and it's a long red light. And I'm thinking, why do I have to wait at this red light when there's not anybody else awake right now? Did I run it? No, because I knew I was going to be talking to you this morning. <laughs> Did I want to run it? Absolutely. I thought, why can't they fix these lights when it's in the middle of the night or middle of the morning, whatever? So, you know, you know what? I did some research. There are some crazy laws still on the books in this nation. Listen to these. These are still on the books. They don't enforce them anymore. For example, in Washington State, you can be arrested or fined for harassing Bigfoot. <laughs> Waynesboro, Virginia, it's against the law for a woman to drive a car on Main Street unless her husband is walking in front of the car waving a red flag. <laughs> in Nevada, Eureka, Nevada, if you have a mustache, it is illegal for you to kiss a woman. In Washington State, a motorist with criminal intentions must stop at the city limits and telephone the police chief if he's entering the town. Idaho, it's illegal for a man to give his fiance a box of candy that weighs more than 50 pounds. In San Antonio, flirting is against the law. In Indiana, it's illegal to attend a public event or use public transportation within a four-hour period of eating onions or garlic. <laughs> you may not take a picture of a rabbit from January to April without an official permit in Wyoming. It's forbidden for a female to appear, to appear unshaven in public in Carrizozo, New Mexico. Minneapolis, Minnesota, red cars may not drive down Lake Street. Marriage between cousins is against the law only if they are younger than 65. <laughs> now, you're thinking Arkansas, I know. <laughs> it's in Utah. Some of you would be in trouble in North Carolina. It's against the law to sing off-key. In Ohio, Paulding, Ohio, policemen are allowed to bite a dog if they think it will calm the dog down. <laughs> Quitman, Georgia, chickens are not allowed to cross the road. <laughs> That's what it says. And finally, I, I've got some more, but I'll just stop there. Only in Texas. Here's you a, here's you a, a law. When two trains meet, at, meet each other at a railroad crossing, 
each shall come to a full stop and neither shall proceed until the other has gone. <laughs> Crazy laws. A minister was pressed for time and not finding a parking place, parked in a no parking zone, put a note on his windshield. I have circled the block 10 times. I have an appointment to keep. Forgive us our trespasses. When he got back, he found a citation along with a note on his windshield, and it said, I've circled this block for 10 years. If I don't give you a ticket, I lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. <laughs> you see, submission to laws, the only, time that, the only time that we don't obey a law is when it violates God's law. And if we're told to do something that goes against our principles and goes against our morals and it goes against God's word, then you and I have an exception. But now, if that's not bad enough, it also, he also says we're to submit to leaders even if they're unqualified. Did you notice who he mentioned? The king. We don't have a king. It meant emperor then. And governors, governors are the people under the emperor in the local places that help enforce the law are supposed to punish the evildoers. And about the time you think, well, you know, I don't like our president. You may say, I don't like our president. There's been some presidents I didn't like. I didn't like the last one. And I'm not in love with this one, but I will say, as long as he keeps his mouth shut, which is never, he does some pretty good stuff. But here's the deal. You think, all right, you may or may not like the president. That's not the issue here. The point is we're supposed to respect the office because you think, well, well, Peter didn't have who we have. Oh, no. Let me tell you who Peter had. The emperor, and Peter probably wrote this letter from Rome. The emperor was Nero. Now, let me tell you about old Nero, how he came to power. In AD 44, Claudius was the emperor of Rome. He had a niece, okay, Uncle Claudius had a niece who seduced him and later on talked him into marrying her. So he married his niece. She already had a son, and he adopted that son and named him Nero. Claudius already had a biological son by the name of Britannicus. So... Claudia, excuse me, uh, uh, no, Claudius, his niece was named Agrippina. Did I, did I tell you her name? Agrippina was her name. She'd already killed her first two husbands by poisoning them. And after th that she married um, Claudius, the emperor, and, and after it was, a, she talked him into making Nero the successor to the, to the throne instead of Britannicus, well, she didn't need Claudius anymore, so she poisoned him. Now, you would think Claudius would be smart enough to know she's already poisoned two husbands. I need to watch what I eat or drink around here. She killed him. Well, to make sure that Britannicus, who was the biological son of Claudius, didn't want to take over the throne or try to make a, a, a play for it. They had him killed. Now, after a while, according to the Roman historian Suetonius, Nero got tired of his mom, didn't like her, so she tri he tried to poison her three times. 
And by the way, when Nero came to the throne after Claudius was killed by Agrippina, he was 17, and now he's the emperor, 17 years old. Well, by the age of 21, he was tired of his mom, so he tried to poison her three times, but she was the queen of poisoning, so she, she didn't get that. And then he had a ship built that was going to break apart when it got out in the middle of the water, and she would drown, and it did break apart, but she swam to shore. And so he eventually had her clubbed and stabbed to death. Nero thought he was a great singer. He wasn't very good, but he loved to dress up in costumes and perform on a stage in front of people, and it was illegal for you to leave as long as he was performing. That is the new law of this church. You are, it's illegal for you to leave as long as I'm preaching. But no, seriously, the people couldn't leave when he was up singing. Well, in the summer of 64 A.D., he, a terrible fire broke out in Rome, and for nine days, it burned most of the city. Most historians will tell you that Nero was not even in Rome at the time, and he sure didn't fiddle while Rome burned because the fiddle, the violin, didn't even come around to the 17th century, so there was no such thing as a violin then. But he did... At the very time Rome burned, he mounted his private stage and sang about the destruction of Troy. But, but the rumor set in that Nero had set fire. And so he was looking for somebody to blame, and guess who he blamed? Christians. Tacitus wrote, and I'm quoting him, besides being, this is about the Christians, besides being put to death, they were made to serve as objects of amusement. They were covered with wild beast skins and torn to death by dogs. Others were set on fire to serve to illuminate the night when daylight failed. Covered by flammable material, they were set on fire to serve as torches during the night. Or they were tied to stakes in Nero's gardens while he drove around in his chariot naked, indulging himself in his midnight revels, gloating over the dying agonies of his victims. After a few more perverse years, there were plots to remove Nero, and in 68 AD, the Senate voted to have him flogged to death. As they were coming to get him, Nero committed suicide, and his last words were, qualis artifacts pareo, which is, what an artist the world loses in me. He was 31 years old. Peter was in Rome writing this letter, and he said, submit to the king. Now, you think we've had it bad? If there's anything small, shallow, arrogant, or ugly about a person, giving them a little authority will bring it out. But what he's trying to tell the Christians who'd been dispersed and some running for their lives, some under severe persecution, he said, you may not like the person, but you respect the authority. You respect, you respect the office. Why? Why would you do that? Why did he say that? For the Lord's sake. That's what it says in verse 13. Excuse me, verse 14. No, it is verse 13. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. This is the key verse right here. You see, people are watching us. People are watching how we live and how we conduct ourselves. And, and they're watching if we are always stirring up trouble, always trying to break the law. 
Now, if Jesus were to come up to you in all his glory and he were to say, I need you to do something for me, would you do it? Every one of us in here say, yes, Lord, we'll do it. We'll spend the rest of our life trying to get it done. Well, that's what he says here. This is the will of God to be a good citizen. Romans 13.1 tells us, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Government is set up by God. I wish our authorities would remember that. And we're supposed to pray for those in authority. 1 Timothy 2, chapter 2, verse 2. We are supposed to pray for them. That red octagon-shaped sign, do you know what that says? What does it say? Stop. I had a secretary many years ago, got a ticket for going through a stop sign. Policeman pulled her over and said, you ran that stop sign. She said, I didn't run that stop sign. I oozed through it. (laughs) And the policeman told her, that sign doesn't say ooze. It says stop. Sometimes it's irritating. Have you noticed that that when you're driving, everyone going slower than you is an idiot and everyone going faster than you is a maniac. <laughs> and, and don't you hate the word tax? A man was complaining to his congressman about taxes. Congressman said, quit complaining. Don't you know that te- death and taxes are inevitable? The man said, that's right, but there's one thing you've got to say in favor of death. It doesn't get worse every time Congress meets. (laughs) And, you know, to tell you the truth, we have to pay a lot of stuff that I think is ridiculous. Personally, I think it's ridiculous to fund things that we really don't need, but that's my opinion. And those of you who are watching my television, do not write me about it, okay? It's my opinion, and I'm entitled to both of my opinions. (laughs) But the thing is... Why do we pay the taxes? Why do we live by the laws? For the Lord's sake. You see, lost people don't, know, don't understand us. They don't know the Lord, and they're watching us. And if we're always trying to cheat. Now, I'm not saying you can't take every legal means to get a deduction or whatever. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about just not doing the law. When people are watching, we need to, be, we need to understand that's part of that, let your, your conduct be honorable among the Gentiles. He also said, for your own protection, not only for the Lord's sake, but your own protection. It says in verse 14 that the governors are those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. The scripture indicates to punish wrongdoers and honor those who do right. We don't punish evildoers much anymore. That's one reason crime is so out of line, because they know they're not going to think happen to them. That's part of it. I'm for rehabilitating people, but we've gone from a punitive judicial system to a rehabilitative judicial system, which basically says, you know what, they're a victim of their own circumstances, and they did this, and it's, it's not their fault. Yeah, it is their fault. If you commit a crime, it's your fault. 
and there's a penalty to pay or punishment to pay. I'm not saying they can't be rehabilitated. Don't misunderstand. But the fact is, if you break the law, there's a penalty for it. When I get stopped for speeding, I never expect to get off. I was breaking the law. Well, I told you you weren't going to like this today. It also says that we're to be consistent in our conduct. Look at verse 15. For this is the will of God. (laughs) You want to know what God's will is? Obey the laws. By doing so, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You know, Christians at this time were accused of a lot of things. They were accused of being atheists because they didn't believe in all the Roman pantheon of gods, little g gods. They only believed in one, Jesus Christ. Sometimes they were accused of being cannibals. They talked about drinking the blood and eating the flesh. Lost people didn't know what they were talking about. Sometimes they were accused of being immoral because they'd have agape feast or love feast and they were assuming it was some kind of immoral exercise. They were accused of being traitors because they would not say Caesar is Lord. And so they were lumped into a bunch of troublemakers and Christians would confess Jesus is Lord and and Peter is saying by submitting to the laws of the land that you are indicating to them that they're wrong. You're not a troublemaker. You're not an atheist. You're not a traitor. A lot of lost people today lump us, those of us who meet on Sundays and worship, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, they lump us together with people like David Koresh who made his last stand in Waco or Jim Jones who made all his followers or got all his followers to drink poison Kool-Aid and so forth. They think we're all that. They're afraid of the Christian right, they would say. Well, I don't think of us being far right, but I think of us being correct, (laughs) that kind of right. Yeah, we are right because we know Jesus Christ is the only way and we believe in him. But, but people who describe us as, as fanatics that cling to our religion and cling to everything, they look at us as some kind of weirdos. You know why? Because they are ignorant. And I'm not being, I'm not being uh, judgmental. They don't know Jesus. And so in their ignorance, they don't have any idea what Jesus will do for them and and what the relationship with Christ really means. They just judge us by some rules and regulations and some Christians who have not lived that kind of life. Peter is saying you need to have a high level of integrity in your life. For this is the will of God. There's no loophole around it, no exception. To put to silence. But, you know, we're, we're done so wrong at times. And you're going to see that some of this chapter talks about being dealt with unjustly. Maybe you've got a boss that's hard to work with and they're unfair. Maybe you've been overlooked for a promotion. You deserved it. You should have gotten it. So what do you do? You keep doing right. What do you have to do if you have an overbearing boss? Well, you either try to find another job 
or you keep working, but you keep doing what's right. Maybe somebody's turned against you in a relationship and hurt you. What do you do? You keep doing what's right. But we have a tendency to want to retaliate. It's our nature. I'm going to get even with you. You hurt me. I'm going to get even with you. I can relate to the college professor. Got a call 3 o'clock in the morning. Woke him up, and he, he recognized the voice on the other end of the line. that said, hey, I want you to know your barking dog is bothering me and keeping me awake and slammed the phone down. So he waited till the next morning at 3 a.m., and he called that person back and said, hey, I just want you to know I don't have a dog. But he got him at 3 o'clock in the morning, didn't he? But you see, we're being watched. And our conduct is speaking volumes. We have the freedom of speech in this country. But even there, we need to be careful what we say. Compliant as citizens, submit yourself to every ordinance of man. (laughs) The kings and governors, our conduct is supposed to be consistent. But then he also says our character comes into play. I call it being consecrated in our character. Did you notice it says we're free in verse 16? You're really free. We're free in Christ. We're not under law. We're not under the Old Testament laws anymore. We're free in Jesus Christ. The only law that Jesus didn't change was the moral law. All the others have been changed. Some of the worship practices have changed because of the grace we have. But you know, today a lot of people hide behind grace so that they can sin. And I say sin in public because they're under grace. That's a cloak for vice, a cloak to sin. You don't use your freedom to sin. But he says, use it as a servant of God. You don't have to follow God to make him love you anymore. He already loves you. You've given your life to him. You don't have to earn God's love. You're free from all of that now. You're free from the the bondage of sin, but now don't use that to go sin and give more fuel to the ignorant people who don't know Jesus to claim that you're some kind of weirdo. Does that make sense? No No amens today. Not many anyway. But notice what he goes on to say. He he goes on to say, okay, you need to regard all people. Honor all people. I'm going to read something to you. You know, we should never judge anybody by the color of their skin. We should never judge anybody by their gender, male or female. We should never judge anybody by their politics. Even though I don't agree with some of their politics, they're still a human being worth something. And we should be careful how we look at people and judge people. Let me read you what what one woman wrote. We were the only family with children in the restaurant. I set Eric in a high chair and noticed everyone was quietly eating and talking. And suddenly Eric squealed with glee and said, Hi there. 
He pounded his fat baby hands on my baby high chair and his eyes were wide with excitement and his mouth was bared in a toothless grin. He wriggled and giggled with merriment. I looked around and I saw the source of his merriment. It was a man with a tattered rag of a coat, dirty, greasy, and worn. His pants were baggy with a zipper at half mast and his toes poked out of a would-be shoe's. His shirt was dirty and his hair was uncombed and unwashed. His whiskers were too short to be called a beard and his nose was so varicose it looked like a road map. We were too far from him to smell, but I was sure he smelled. His hands waved and flapped loose wrists. Hi there, baby. Hi there, big boy. I see you, Buster, the man said to Eric. My husband and I exchanged looks. What do we do? Eric continued to laugh and answer. Hi, hi there. Everyone in the restaurant noticed and looked at us and then at the man. The old geezer was creating a nuisance with my beautiful baby. Our meal came and the man began shouting from across the room, Do you know patty cake? Do you know peekaboo? Hey, look, he knows peekaboo. Nobody thought the old man was cute. He was obviously drunk. My husband and I were embarrassed. We ate in silence, all except for Eric, who was running through his repertoire for the admiring skid row bum who in turn reciprocated with his cute comments we finally got through the meal and headed for the door my husband went to pay the check and told me to meet him in the parking lot the old man sat poised between me and the door lord just let me out of here before he speaks to me or eric i prayed and as i drew closer to the man i turned my back trying to sidestep him and avoid any air he might be breathing as I did, Eric leaned over my arm, reaching with both arms in a baby's pick-me-up position. And before I could stop him, Eric had propelled himself from my arms to the man's. Suddenly, a very old, smelly man and a very young baby consummated their love relationship. Eric, in an act of total trust, love, and submission, laid his tiny head upon the man's ragged shoulder. The man's eyes closed, and I saw tears hover beneath his lashes. His aged hands full of grime, pain, and hard labor gently, so gently cradled my baby's bottom and stroked his back. No two beings have ever loved so deeply for so short a time. I stood awestruck. The old man rocked and cradled Eric in his arms for a moment, and then his eyes opened and set squarely on mine. He said in a firm, commanding voice, you take care of this baby. Somehow I managed, I will, from a throat that contained a stone. He pried Eric from his chest unwillingly, longingly as though he were in pain. I received my baby and the man said, God bless you, ma'am. You've given me my Christmas gift. I said nothing more than a muttered thanks with Eric in my arms. I ran for the car. My husband was wondering why I was crying and holding Eric so tightly and why I was saying, God, please forgive me. I had just witnessed Christ's love shown through the innocence of a tiny child who saw no sin, who made no judgment, a child who saw a soul, and a mother who saw a suit of clothes. I was a Christian who was blind, holding a child who was not. I felt it was God asking, are you willing to share your son for a moment? And when he shared his for, are you willing to share your son for a moment when he shared his for all eternity? The ragged old man unwittingly had reminded me to enter the kingdom of God, you must become as little children. Folks, 
no matter how different someone must be and may be and how far off track we may think they are, we're supposed to still honor all people as people. There's no trash in the world. We're also to recognize the brethren. It says, love the brotherhood. That refers all the way back to chapter 1, verse 22, when it tells us to have a sincere love for the brotherhood. They're our spiritual family. He tells us we're to love our enemies and we're to honor all people. But especially when we come in here, when we see our church family, when we see other Christians, there's a love between Christians that no one else knows about. And we're to love the brotherhood. We're to love the sisterhood. We're to love the family of God. Even when they're in your seat. still happening. You can tell I have zero tolerance for that. Don't ever let me catch you do that or I'll escort you out personally. I'm telling you, that's the dumbest thing we can ever do is for you to say you're in my seat. Please, please don't ever do that. That's not love. That's selfishness. That's carnality. There's nothing Christ-like about that. Does that make you feel guilty enough? I hope so. But love the brotherhood. When people, when you come in here, people need to be loved. You never know who's been through hell on earth that week and may need a loving touch and just a friendly handshake or a hug or a smile. It means the world. And if we can't give it to one another in here, who who are we going to give it to? We're to love each other. Because when Christians fight... The world says, I don't want any part of that. Why would I want to become a Christian when all you do is run down your church and run down other people and you're always fighting? Who wants that? Jesus said, people are going to know you by your love for one another. We need to be reminded. He says to reverence God. This isn't a negative. He says to fear God. You're not afraid of God. It means, God, I reverence you in my life. You're my supreme authority. I have awe and reverence and utmost respect, and I worship you. No one else will find, will deserve my worship but you, God. And then, wouldn't you know it, he brings us back. It's bad enough he says it once. He says it again. We're to respect the government. Honor the king. Respect those in authority. Respect the office. We are the lights in the community. And you parents, let me tell you something. If you've still got children at home, you better be teaching them authority in the playpen. They're going to learn it in the state pen one day. Because there is authority in our life, and you have to live under authority whether you like it or not. It brings order to the world, and God ordained authority in our life. We're fortunate enough to live in a country where we can help decide who's going to be an authority, and we exercise our right to vote. Not every country has that. We live in one that does. But let me tell you, to, to, to say that, well, you know what? It seems like a lot of people today put everybody in authority under suspect. Can you imagine living in a world with no authority? That's called anarchy and chaos. 
Can you imagine coming to a traffic uh, intersection like I did this morning all by myself and there not being any traffic lights there? As much as I hate red. Well, it wouldn't have been bad this morning, but 8 o'clock tomorrow, it'd been awful. Because I'd be saying, wish there was a light here so I could get out in the intersection. You see, we've got to have order and authority in our life. And as children of God, we're supposed to be those that comply as best we can without violating what God tells us to do. Stopping at a traffic light does not violate God's word. Obeying the speed limit does not violate God's word. That makes sense? So if you're like me, I've had to do a lot of confessing today or before today. Sometimes authority irritates me, but it's there for a reason. And I have to really remember my ultimate authority is God. And if you know the Lord is your Savior, if you're like me, maybe I'm the only person in the room who has trouble with some of the stuff, but I'm probably not. Say, Lord, thank you for reminding me that there are laws for a reason. And at least I have the opportunity, if I can get another, enough other people to agree with me, we can elect people that can change things. But for right now, this is the way it is. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be a good testimony. And if you don't know Jesus, there's no way you can live like this. It's hard enough with Jesus. But the supernatural power that he puts in you, the divine nature... helps you do it if you don't know Christ as your Savior today you can know Jesus by turning from your sin in repentance placing your faith committing your life to Jesus making him the Lord of your life would you pray with me thank you for listening to today's message if you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.